Hi, I'm Irwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel, and we'll see you there. Oh yeah, we got another choir coming. <laughs> it's the Irwin Choir. Look, so it was... <laughs> okay, I might have done something. Um, it was Erwin's birthday last week. You did great. You did awesome in celebrating. Thank you so much. And then Tuesday we had a birthday party for him. And I thought it would be great since the room was so big that we would, buy, we would just have these made. It might have been a bad idea because it was so expensive. It was so expensive that I'll be using these everywhere I go. <laughs> it is so expensive. I have got to get all the possibility of use out of these things. And we call them Erwin 1. Erwin two and Erwin three. It's like thing one, thing two, thing three. And so, yeah, at Thanksgiving, they're going to be pilgrims. <laughs> Christmas, they'll be like uh, hanging on the tree. Lampshade, Erwin, will be displayed in our living room. This guy's going to be security at my house. Anybody who robs my house is going to wonder, what's that guy got a microphone for? You know? <laughs> And so, so I just thought, oh, how fun it would be. This is the way to the party. This is the way to the party. But honestly, I'm like, uh, sometimes in his universe, I just kind of get lost, you know, and I could just tell you that's true. And, and it's a real thing that I, <laughs> sometimes I get a little crazy with his universe. The books and the, and the traveling and, and we're constantly having to adjust. And, and, and when I decided that I'm going to be more visible and actually call myself a pastor, I had to move up to the middle and stop being in the behind the scenes. Does that make me any less valuable? I don't know because I have issues. I know it's my thing, but that's my thing, right? It's my thing. You got your thing. I got my thing. This is my thing. <laughs> and maybe this is saying something about me that I would have him duplicated three times. So if you're a really good psychologist, you come up after. You let me know <laughs> what this all means. Because I think this might be the next step in our issues. But, you know, um, we got, there are just days that you're just in the middle. I'm in the middle of his stuff. And his life is so big. And, um, and so we're moving to his schedules. And we're moving all around. And sometimes uh, it could go either way. This could go well or it could not go well. And we've, we've had to make 10,000 decisions in this community and as a family and as husband and wife. And um, I'm just one, but he seems like he's a whole lot. And I, I love him, but I'm just sometimes, we're just in the middle of it. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. He's in, <laughs> he's in Kuala Lumpur, but um, I, uh, 
you know, he, he's, he's really here too. And I, I just want to say that tonight we're going to talk about uh, in the middle. In the middle. When it could go either way. Because any given decision that we make, right? And we have to make a lot of them, and you do too. And any given decision, unless you're just derailed and crazy, you are doing the best you can at these decisions, and you are confident that you're making the right decision at even any given point, right? We do that too. And, and he sometimes hears my decisions, and he's shaking his head. I don't know what she's thinking. I'm doing the same thing, because it could go either way. We're never promised absolute success. So what do you do in the middle when it could go either way? You know, you can come and take Irwin off, the Irwin parade. I love you. I love you. And I love you. You can go ahead and take him away. He's great. He, uh, he wrote a book, that last book, that last arrow book. I, I, I guess it was all right. But he stole my passage. I asked him. I, you know, I said, uh, I love this. This is really my favorite. But he took it. That's all right. Um, but it's in 2 Samuel 23, and tonight we're going to go in the middle of this stuff. And I don't know if you're dealing with something, you're out in the middle of it. I feel like it could be interpreted in any way. But look, in, in 2 Samuel 23, there is a middle you choose, right? Sometimes you don't have the choice in a lot of things, but sometimes you do. And this was Shema's case. So the scriptures go like this. Next to him, talking about, this whole chapter is talking about the, the three great warriors beside King David that had his back, that were right in it with David. And this was Shema. And it says, next to him was Shema. Never heard of him. Who's that guy? Let's start with his name. <laughs> Son of Agi, the Herite. And when the Philistines, you know those Philistines, the bad guys, they're always the bad guys. Goliath was a Philistine. Sorry about your head, Goliath. It happened, and every, <laughs> the Philistines are never the good guys. We don't know where they came from, but they were always the enemy. And so when you see the Philistines in your head go, boo, no, we, what, we're, we're against you. They were all the bad guys. But that day, the Philistines banded together at a place, banded together. Like, they had the best team. They, had, they showed the greatest teamwork. They were the strongest. They were, you know, had the best strategy. They banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils. Hmm. Anybody a fan of lentils? Yeah. You <laughs> say, yeah. 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 <laughs> together. Together in a place where there was a field full of lentils. And Israel's troops. Now this is the other team. We're always like, go, Israel, go, Israel, go, Israel, because we love you so. Because God's like always speaking to his people, you know, Israel, yeah. And Israel's troops <laughs> fled from them. Mm, it was a bad day for team Israel. And it was a great day for team Philistines. Right, but in the middle, it says this, but Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Whew, isn't that powerful? <laughs> what would be... Um, your strategy 
if the entire army that you've trained with, that you led, that you trusted, that you were in the trenches with, battle after battle after battle after battle, enemy after enemy, and all of a sudden that day they were cowards and they, were, they refused to go into battle. They looked at the enemy, the Philistines, and they said, there is something about them today that's ominously different than other days. They are coming at us with such force, with such power, with such confidence. And all of them, and I don't know if it was the front lines and then it led all the way back, they all gave up collectively and they ran away. And I don't know if Shema thought about it. I don't know if what his thinking process was. We get so little backstory, and I love filling in all the details, but I can't do it here. And so Shema is standing there, and here he is seeing his lieutenants and his captains and his everybody else, all <laughs> uh, generals, all running away the other direction. And he's like, "Well, who is?" Who decides um, that when everybody is running one direction, they're going to stand and face a whole army alone? Who does that? Who does that? Somebody that, that is confident? Somebody that, that you know, is like, ah, Barack. <laughs> uh, is that, who does that? And I guarantee you there was nothing remarkable about him except he knew who he was. He knew his convictions. And he knew that somebody had to fight that battle or they were going to take the territory. So I don't know what battle that you have to stand and fight when nobody is standing with you. What does that look like? It happened in a field full of lentils right in the middle and I'm, I'm a big fan of lentils. I just don't know if I could do that for lentils. <laughs> you know? I don't know if it's a legume that I would be willing to lay, give it all for. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying it's good. It's fine. It's good in soups and chilies. But I'm just like not willing to give it all. But So what was the significance of him fighting and saying with all those thousands of warriors behind him? that said this battle is not ours today there is no we have no way of winning it what they saw in their eyes what they assessed what they thought they were seeing what they were afraid of what caused them to run and him to stay sometimes it only takes one to fight the battle and sometimes that one has to do it alone there are, there are days when you're just going to have to fight the battle by yourself. I'm a big fan of church. I'm a big fan of community. But look, there is some days God says, in the middle, you have to choose. You have to choose. And Shemal chose. There's a lot of battles. It's not worth fighting. My neighbors, <laughs> I was just one of my neighbors, and they're fighting over bushes. The two neighbors are fighting over bushes. Lawsuits over bushes. Don't fight that battle. Don't fight noisy battles. Battles that just people are talking. Talking, talking. You say one word, I'll say a stronger word. Then you say a stronger word, then I do another accusation. And it just turns into rage. Don't take those battles. Not worth it, right? Don't fight ghosts. Not worth it. Not worth the battle. All those ghosts that you're fighting constantly, everything that's happened in your past, never going to change a moment, never going to change a moment. Lady said, 
I've been dealing with this for 20 years this morning. She said, I've been dealing with this 20 years, the betrayal, this 20 years. Time to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I know that 20 years is a long time, and you've given it all you've got. Now, let it go. A ghost that needs to be let go. Don't fight that battle. My, my, you know, my nephews came to visit me. Uh, I went to strip their beds after they left. I realized, you know, they, they didn't sleep under the top sheet. I was very disappointed. I stripped their beds and realized I'm going to have to wash the comforters too. I don't like this. This is not right. It's not right. So I went downstairs. Everybody was downstairs. I just let them say, you know, they didn't sleep under the top sheets, you know. Matt Pagan, who seems to always be at my house, he says, he says, he says, I don't sleep under the top sheet. You disappoint me, Matt Pagan. Why? He goes, I, I don't, I don't want to make it up afterwards. Lazy. Um, Aaron says, I don't sleep under the top sheet. What? What? He said, no, I don't, I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. All right. Then Irwin comes in. I don't sleep under the top sheet either. I don't talk, I can't find it. I can't find it. Oh, poor thing. Poor. So, so I so could not find the right judgy words that I so desperately wanted to use in order to say, this isn't a teenage thing. This isn't a teenage thing. This is all men. This is all men, all of you. All of you wash your sheets. I want to fight that battle. All of you sleep under the top sheet. I want to fight that one. All of you make up your beds. Uh, but that's not worth it. My judgment on your facial hair, it's not worth it. I, I so have it. I so am thinking it. It's just not worth it. Because there's a lot of battles. It's just not worth fighting. But there was, there was that one battle that God calls you to fight sometimes. But you have to choose it. You have to choose it. And you have to stand there. And he said he stood in the middle of the field with his weapon. The enemy's coming to him. One by one, by five, by ten, by a hundred. And the victory that God honored was his standing there, defending. What was he defending? No, it wasn't lentils. It was the fact that if Israel lost that land, Israel would be just surrendering another piece of themselves. What? How much do you have to surrender? How much do you have to surrender to too little a fight before you have nothing of your soul left? Because you've given it away the night before. And you were so much less. What do you have to surrender? And then you realize, I am fighting for my very life here to get back. Because I've lost so much. And it's weakened me. And it's demoralized me. And it's stripped me of my relationships. Because I'm not strong and courageous in the moment. In the middle. And I don't know what you're in the middle of. A man last night told me I'm in the middle of, I've lost my momentum. I've lost it. Another man told me this morning is, I'm the middle child. I, I hold the whole family together. It's falling apart, but they got me. They got me. It's too much. I said, it's too much for you to bear. You're not their savior in the middle. Wow. Right? And it says, Shema stood there. He stood your ground. You stand your, he stood his ground. You stand your ground. He said, he defended it. 
He defended it. He took care of it. He fought for it. He gained its freedom, not because of lentils, but because of territories, because there were people living on that land. We don't know about those people. We just know that they're the nation of Israel that was not willing to fight for their own land. But they were unseen. They were in their homes cooking. They were over there taking care of their sheep. And they were over there doing other Israelite things. <laughs> but he says, they're worth fighting for even though I can't see them. And all those people that I see their backs running away, I turn around and they're gone. They're hiding in the hills. They're just watching. I fight for them even though they've run away from me. You run away, I still fight for you. How many runners do I have in the house? Bad ones. Bad runners, not good runners. You know? Like, oh, I know that. I know running. I run away from everything. Responsibility. <laughs> Relationships. I'm a great runner. You know? you know? Because you know when you are. You know when you are. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I can't deal with that. We have a running language. And we just surrender that battle. Because we can't deal with it. There are some battles and some days you just have to deal with. And sometimes they're little ones. And it's a test. It's a trial. There's this thing of adversity. Adversity comes to all of us, right? We have to deal with our problems. There are some studies done. Um, Martin Seligman is one of my favorite uh, writers, and I've been reading this book put out by the Harvard Business Review on mental toughness, and it has 10 articles on mental toughness by this uh, Harvard Business Review. I've been reading them. And one of the things about Martin Seligman, who was the uh, author of Positive Psychology, he started actually studying way back when he started studying helplessness. There was a study done in the 70s, published in the 80s. Three rooms, three groups of people. Room A, loud noise, loud, loud noise. What would the people do? It's a test. It's a diversity. That noise, the noise level got louder, there was a button, and they collectively realized, press the button! And they got it, and it stopped. Group number two, room number two, group of people, same noise, same noise. They hit the button, it wouldn't stop. Hit it again, hit it again, wouldn't stop. Room number three, this group had no noise, had no, had no button. We don't care about them. So <laughs> next day, they all came back. They all took their seats in the same room, same people, same groups. Group number one, loud, loud noise, this time no button. And they realized collectively, if they reached out about 12 inches, the noise would stop. They figured it out. They figured it out, right? You have answers to adversity. You have answers to your problems, right, right, right. But there was something learned in this group number two. There was a noise. There was a huge noise, but there was no button. And there's like, what do we do? What do we do? They didn't do anything. They just sat there. And they, they uh, acclimated to the noise. They took it and absorbed the shock and the pain of the noise. Wow. Did nothing. Room number three, noise, 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 noise. And they figured it out, even though they didn't have noise the, next, the day before, that if they extended their hands 12 inches, the noise would stop. They figured it out. And this second room here, this, they learned, this is learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. That there are times when we look at adversity in the face and we are helpless to deal with it because we've learned a pattern. Those little pieces of giving ourselves away and surrendering ourselves that we've said, oh, oh, we just walk right past that solution because we don't, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah, but, but we have to get some strength, right? We have to get some resilience. This book was also talking about, there's a, um, a, 
this whole issue of military uh, men and women coming back and, and having very little help to help them acclimate back into their families. And it was a big issue with PTSD. They, um, they, the military said, oh, we'll spend $143 million on this program of mental fitness. And Albert Ellis was part of this. And one of the things, part of this master resilience training, they called an MRT. And he said, uh, Albert Ellis developed this little exercise to teach soldiers to rewire their thinking when they're in adversity and how to deal with adversity and not go back to uh, aggressive behavior, not go back to what they were trained to do, but retrain their thinking. And one was ABCD. ABCD, Albert Ellis, ABCD. A is adversity, whatever it is. Sometimes it comes, you can't control it, sometimes you can. B is the belief that you have about that, that adversity. Because sometimes you've been taught some things, sometimes you've learned some things, sometimes you just fall over to the side of your comfort zone and your weak spot, and you don't really retrain your brain to think as strong as the other part of your brain. So you can be very physically fit and strong and, you know, you can take it, you know. <laughs> but then mentally, you fall back in the same patterns. And so that was B. But it was like those, those if you hit adversity, and B was like, oh, the immediate hot moment thoughts you have about it. And then C was like those emotional consequences that came because you had um, an adversity and a belief about that. It's like the consequences of like, oh, it's the emotions. It's all the feels that you have that cause you then to get depressed and cause you to make the wrong decisions. But D, D, it's, it's, it's like this training was to recognize you got to get to D. And D was like immediate and quick defying of all the beliefs that, you, that were unhealthy, that never got you anywhere, that was destructive. So defy it, defy it. Defy it. And some of, some of these battles that you, we struggle with are in our own heads, right? And so we can't even get to the battle to fight for somebody else that's very significant because we're so battling in our own heads. So a soldier would have a 10-pound, uh, he would have a 10-mile walk with a 100-pound pack, and that was, the, that was his adversity because he couldn't run the whole distance. He stopped at 8 miles, and he fell. And so then the B part was, the belief was, I'm a failure, and then the C part was, was oh, I am down all day because, look, look I, everybody was watching. And I told oh, you're down on yourself and you're down all day long and you can't be ready to train the next day because yourself is weakened physically and mentally. But then it's like you can get to D by saying, I defy all of that. I carried eight miles today, but tomorrow I will carry nine miles. I will carry ten miles. I will believe that I am capable and strong, that I, I will embrace failure one day, but I will not embrace it the next. I will, then I will take those emotional consequences and I will force myself to have a different emotion. That I will say I am not a slave to my feels. I'm not a slave to my feels, and I defy everything that goes up against the fact that God loves me and is fighting my battles for me and helping me through this, and is making me stronger, and is making me courageous, and I defy it, I defy it, I defy it, I defy it, and sometimes you have to fight for your own self before you can fight for somebody else, and look, this is, this is the beautiful thing here. You, we love victory because the Lord brought the victory that day. We love the fact that we climb mountains and jump off of them. We jump out of airplanes and we like look so, oh, we look so invincible. Um, I don't have to do that, but maybe you do. 
but look, we love our we love our victories. We love that we get tax refunds. We love when we have health care and they pay it. We love when our car turns on. It's a victory in LA. We love when we have gas money. And we love when we are in relationship with someone fantastic. And so we're going to marry that one until she dumps us and we get the next one. And we believe with all our hearts, she's the one until we find the real one. And then we marry that person. What a victory. What a victory. What a victory to find relationships and love. It's a beautiful thing. Ah, but we have to find there's some days that, that there's a different victory in the middle that you have to get to. It's that time when you're starting to fight for one another, when you're starting to fight for their good. And whenever you've got a victory and you pass it along to somebody else, that is the most victorious of all experiences when you've got it and you're passing it to somebody else. Your freedom becomes somebody else's freedom. Look, there is a middle that you choose. And in Ezekiel, it says this. You go on to that next passage, it goes like this. It was a next completely different scenario. Ezekiel, crazy prophet. It says this, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the, in the, in the what? In the middle of the valley of what? Of bones. Just, just generally bones, human bones. Devastation everywhere. And Ezekiel, so now Shema has fought his battle. He's had a huge success. And now it, we're in the middle of the valley. Of, and it's, you may be very familiar with this passage. It's the valley of dry bones. And, and God said, in the middle, there is a time when you are chosen. And that day, Ezekiel was chosen. He was called son of man. He was chosen for this experience. And God was going to paint a picture for Israel that was going to change everything because they were struggling with their own destructive behaviors. And God said, just look at all this valley of dry bones. As far as you could see, the valley was full of bones. And he said, Ezekiel, I want you to speak to these bones. Don't speak to, don't speak to anybody that's living. I want you to speak to the dead. You say, bones, find bones. And he's like, hello, famer. <laughs> Can you find your brother? Can you find your kneecap? You know? <laughs> and, so, and somehow, miraculously, when he began to prophesy, when he began to, the message of God began to flow out, he's like, okay, come, come bone. And the bones all gather together. They found each other. Perfect bones, perfect people, perfect skeletons. We're just walking around. He goes, now, call tendons, call muscles, call skin and then and, and Ezekiel was just obeying the message he heard. He was just crazy enough. He was just crazy enough to believe that God, what God said, God asked him to do, he just did it. And there's just like this whole book of just all the craziness he did. Because he was, he, he just had it in him to believe. Faith rise up. Faith rise up. And he said what God said. Bones. You know, he was used to prophesying to people, but he was prophesying to just bones. And somehow they made skeletons, and somehow, somehow they made dead people. And then God said, put the breath in them. Call the breath from the winds. And he did it. He called the breath from the, the actual elements, and the breath filled them. And this is what he said. This is, this is what God was trying to do. He said, so, so he prophesied as he commanded me. And, I, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet. A vast army! A vast army. 
The Shema's army all ran, <laughs> and the bad guys all ran to them, and they were destroyed. But this army was already dead. And God said, raise that army. And so he did. It wasn't anything Ezekiel did except obey the voice. And he said, I'll just be a messenger. Because sometimes in the middle, you are chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen for the message. What are you going to do about it when you're chosen? Speak, 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 speak it. And he said, and then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people. These, they're the people. And the people are saying, our bones are dried up. Our opportunity is dried up. Our hope is dried up. Our future is dried up. There's nothing here for me in L.A. And our hope is gone. And we are cut off. You ever feel like cut off? Like cut off? Don't you hang up on me. Don't you cut me off. Don't you cut me off, man. I got a bigger truck than you do. You know? This is, I'm being cut off. Therefore, prophesy to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, my people, I'm going to open your, what? I'm going to open your graves. What you thought was dead, I'm going to open them. Oh, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Open the graves, open the graves. What you thought had finished, what you thought was done with, open the graves. He says, I'm going to open your graves and I'm going to bring you up from them. I'm going to bring you up because it's really you that's in those graves. And so I'm going to bring you up from them. You think you're dead? I will bring you back. I will bring you back. I will resuscitate you. I will resurrect you. And then you, my people, you will know, you will know I am the Lord. When I open your graves and I bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, my holy breath in you, and you will, and you will say it, live. I will live and I will settle. I will settle you in your own land. I will give you the territory. I will give your souls back to you that, that you surrendered long ago. I will give you great lands, great territories. You know, we, we can't even believe a future that God has for us because we, we just don't even trust God enough. We think this little small life is the only life that we have, but if you would actually stand in the spaces that God tells you in the middle and stop thinking that that middle place is a whirlpool sucking you down under, but that it is, a, that is an open grave and it is bringing, God is bringing you out and bringing you up. If you would start believing that, your littleness would turn into greater territories. I believe that. I really believe that for you. The Lord has done it. The Lord has done it. And I'll tell you, there's one last in John 19, 18. Sometimes... In the middle, you choose, and sometimes in the middle, it chooses you. But there are times that, in, in like in John nineteen eighteen, it says this: there they crucified Jesus, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. That that in the middle, Jesus meets you right there. Jesus meets you right there. And I'll tell you, he knew adversity. He knew A, because he was hanging on the tree in the middle. He knew A. He knew what that felt like. He knew that blood was dripping out of, those bone, uh, out of his body. He knew that for hours he hung on that cross. I can't even fathom preaching about the cross. I have never done it justice. I have never tried to do it because I cannot fathom when love volunteered to die for me. I cannot even... I, it's too, I'm too small a human being 
to feel like I can preach the cross. And Erwin does it so brilliantly all the time. But I'm telling you, um, it overwhelms me that Jesus would say, um, this is the way I get to you, is by sacrificing all I have for you. And love shows up tonight in the middle. But it was the worst day in all humanity. It was the worst day because love was beaten up. He was beaten down. He was judged and condemned to die. He said, those two murderers on either side of you, you're just like them. And nobody in that crowd, his mother, the disciples, nobody watching, the soldiers, everybody, all the Jewish leaders that condemned him to die, nobody understood what resurrection was. They didn't know that was coming in three days. They didn't know. They, all they knew is they, they won. They won. Darkness won. And nobody saw the victory. And it was just sacrifice. It was just sacrifice. And the disciples were like, what is this all for? And Jesus is in the middle. In the middle. The miraculous meets humanity. In the middle. The, the unknown becomes the known. I will give it all for you. I will meet you in your sin and your brokenness. I will meet you in your imperfection. And your disasters I will meet you in your adversities and whatever you believe about that and whatever the consequences are of all the emotional baggage I defy all odds there is victory in your future there is a hope in your future because you can meet Jesus in the middle because he dared to be in the middle he was in the middle before you ever were thought up he was in the middle he took that pain for you he's taking it on now so whatever you dropped on your journey, whatever you couldn't carry, he said, I'll carry that for you. Whatever failure you've embraced, he said, I got that for you. And I am going to bring you back to emotional wholeness. And you don't have to be hopeless anymore. I'm going to give you a whole way of thinking. I'm going to give you a victory that you've never had before. Because Jesus said, I am in the middle with you. I meet you here. And I know that some of you tonight, you need to say, Jesus, I, I want to meet you. You want Jesus in your life. You need to meet Jesus. You need that relationship because you're trying to do it all by yourself. And he said, I will come into you. I will be your savior. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Just call out. Call out. I forgive you of all your sins and all your past. Just call out. If you're that person, everybody's going to just bow their heads. Everybody's just going to bow their heads right now. And we're just going to pray. And if you are that person who needs, wants to meet Jesus tonight, then pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And in giving you... Your life, Jesus, comes into you. He says, I will dwell and live in you. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that. Are you crazy enough to believe that? Let your faith rise up and meet the love of Jesus. As he's right here in this room, as real as my voice, as real. Call out to him, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you... If you made that decision, I want to see your hand. I want to see it. I want to see your hand. Raise up. Raise it up. Can, 
Anybody pray that prayer? Did anybody pray? Jesus, I give you my life. Raise your hand. Just raise it. Just raise it up. Jesus, I give you my life. Raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Father, how holy a moment when we get to meet you for the first time. When we get to to accept you, your love, your forgiveness. We get to be healed and restored. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Jesus, that you would meet these new ones in their future. That, God, you would take care of them and protect them and you would guide them and guard them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we say thank you for those who now believe? Like, so amazing. But I also know that, it, that some of you just need help. You're right in the middle of it. And you need help. And if you need help, I want to see your hand too. I'm not ashamed to tell you I need help. Raise your hand. Anybody want prayer for that? Raise your hand. Shoot, what do we have? We don't care in LA. Just raise your hand. <laughs> That's what I love about our city. You know? Um, I want you to, I, if, you, if you are a hand raised, everybody that doesn't have your hand raised is going to pray for you right now. This room is connected to your pain. Right? Let's pray. I want us to all pray out loud. Just pray out loud for people who need help. Let's just do it. Let's just go there. Jesus, I want to hear your, I want to hear your prayer out loud. Jesus, for those of us who need help, for those of us who are struggling, struggling, you see the hands, you know the heart. You're right in there. You're right in there with your healing. I pray healing tonight. Please, Jesus, bring it miraculously. Bring it instantly. God, adversity is only temporary. It's only local. It's changeable. Transform, change, God, the problem right now instantly. Change our thinking about the problem. Change our beliefs about the problem. Lord, help our faith to rise up to meet this. God, it isn't impossible because you, God, are possible. Everything is possible with you. Amen, amen. Everything is possible. And we believe, God. We believe, we believe, we believe in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good night. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only He can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.